Good morning. It is great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, I want to welcome those of you here at the Long Point campus. I also want to welcome all of our campuses that are with us this weekend uh, as we kind of close out 2012. We're glad that you guys are here as well, as well as our internet campus and uh, Mosaic Church up in Charlotte, North Carolina is going to be joining us this weekend as well. So we're glad. In fact, why don't you guys help me here at Long Point and let's just give a warm welcome to all of our campuses and Mosaic Church. We are glad to have you guys. You know, I get the awesome opportunity today to introduce a friend of Seacoast and really more than a friend of Seacoast, uh, he's a part of Seacoast. He's one of us, he's, he's part of our family. Uh, when I came on staff at Seacoast Church in 2001, uh, Pastor Naeem Fazel was actually my, my supervisor. Uh, we worked in student ministries and then when, when we tried to build a bigger building here in Mount Pleasant, you guys have probably heard the story if you haven't, uh, we'll, we'll tell it a, again sometime, but we were forced to kind of try some new things and one of the ideas was multi-site. Like what if we tried to do church on multiple locations with video? And so Pastor Greg basically tapped Naeem uh, and, and a team and I went with him to go launch our very first campus and experiment with this thing called multi-site. And uh, we joked that we told him if he, if he didn't make it work, we were gonna deport him back to Kuwait, which is where he's from. Uh, so give him some motivation, but, but it worked and it obviously paved the way for all that we're doing now with multi-site and uh, Naeem's been a part of our staff. He grew up in Kuwait uh, and moved over here in the 90s for college and committed his life to Christ, converted from uh, Muslim or Islam to Christianity here at the College of Charleston and, and came on our staff. And then about oh, a little over five years ago, him and his wife Ashley and a team left Seacoast and went up to Charlotte, North Carolina to plant Mosaic Church. And uh, I was there in September. God is just doing some incredible things through their ministry up in Charlotte, hundreds of people being reached and ministered to. And so we are excited to have him here to help us close out 2012. Would you guys help me welcome Pastor Naeem Fazel? Thank you, sir. Oh, well, good, good morning. Man, it is so much fun to be here this morning. I got to tell you, those of you who don't know, you know, like Josh was saying, I kind of grew up here and uh, and for, uh, the first time I was ever allowed to like speak on stage was in fact uh, I was doing announcements. It was uh, it was a Saturday night and it was my first time and Pastor Greg gave me a shot, you know, and I was like, this is awesome, you know. And uh, I thought the announcements were amazing. Uh, I, I, honestly, I think they were the best announcements ever at. Seacoast, but anyways, uh, but what's so funny though is I, I ended the announcements, you know, and, and I, I sat down and I was like, this is great. And then Pastor Greg came up and he goes, isn't Naeem awesome? But let me just correct all the announcements because apparently I, uh, I think that, uh, that night I told like middle school students to sign up for like Celebrate Recovery small groups. And then instead of saying, you know, if, you're, if you are a college student, I said, if you're interested in college students, we have like a <laughs> College Charleston Cougars group that meets downtown. I, I don't know what I did. And uh, uh, yeah, so he had to correct me. And, uh, but what's really crazy is that he let me do announcements again. Then he let me speak. He let me lead. He brought me on staff. He let me grow. Um, and I owe him the Surratts, all 265 of them, and, uh, uh, and the team, and you guys, just so much gratitude. So I want to give you a hand, but I need your help to do that because it's going to be lame if I just clap, right? So can we just give ourselves, your, yourself a hand? Let's do that. Awesome. You guys are 
you guys uh, will always be a part of my life story, my family's life story. So I'm grateful for you. All right, so um, grew up in Kuwait as a Pakistani and uh, was not uh, exposed to a lot of TV shows, you know, American shows. But there was one show I did uh, get to experience. It was called The A-Team. Anybody remember The A-Team? Oh, yes. Any A-Team fans in the house? Yes. Hey, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have not lived. Do something about it. Watch the episode. Netflix, man, free month, uh, free, free first month, you know, just do it. Make it happen. Because that show was amazing. The characters, you guys remember Face Man? Mr. T? Shut up, fool. I mean, he was awesome. What about the lead guy? Remember the lead guy? His name was Hannibal Smith. And Hannibal Smith had a, what, a cigar in his mouth? And every episode, at some point, he would say this line. Do you remember it? And if you do, say it with me. I love it when a plan comes together. And it was awesome because in those episodes, everything always came together. Right? Everything always just worked out and he would say that line. But here's the question, right? Uh, that's a TV show. Um, and this is real life. Uh, what happens when the plan does not come together? Like, what happens uh, to you? Uh, what happens inside of you when what you thought uh, is not what really took place? When, when you uh, planned a particular weekend, a particular relationship, a particular marriage even, a life, a career, a certain way, and it just didn't pan out like you thought. The plan did not come together. What do you do? What are we to do? What are we to do when life not only just, you know, changes the plans on us, but life turns into it into a horrible situation where it's not just a bad plan. No, it's a horrible, horrible thing that took place. In fact, it's, it's an event, a life event that just rips the peace right out of your life. It causes heartbreak, it causes grief, disappointment, letdown. In fact, it's beginning to change everything about you. What do you do when it doesn't come together? When you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be. Have you ever been there? Are you there this morning? Where, 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 where a grief where this, some bad news, some, uh, someone does something, and, it, and because of that, it, 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 it removes you out of your life that you used to live and, and exiles you into a place where you thought you'd never end up. You're, you're in a place where emotionally you thought you'd never be, in a place financially you thought you'd never be in. You never thought it would be this terrible. Are you where you want to be this morning? Or do you find yourself in a place you don't want to be? What, do you, what are we to do? I, I've been there. But what, what are we to do? Well, we've done certain things, haven't we? We've tried certain things. And maybe this morning you're here and you wouldn't admit it, but you are right there. You're tracking with me. You might be in a different campus and you're thinking, yes, this is it. Now, could it be possible that God wants to speak to you this morning? I think he does. 
because you and I have tried different things and we intuitively try things to figure out our lives and connect the dots when we find ourselves in a place we don't want to be, in a season we don't want to be, we try to get out. What God wants to do this morning, I believe, is speak to us. And so what I'd love to do is pray. Would you join me and all the campuses? Let's pray and ask God to speak. Father, we thank you so much for this moment. And Lord God, my prayer is this, that would you fill not just this space and all the other spaces, Lord God, the campuses, but would you fill every space in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. For some of us, Lord God, we're so... Um, tuned in. We, we, are, we want you to speak to us. For others of us, we don't even believe you could because we're so far away, it seems like. But yet, Lord God, you are just a prayer away. And the truth is you speak to us, even though we don't want to listen. And so, Lord, I pray, would you speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you've got a Bible, grab that. If you've got a note sheet, you can follow along. We're going to go to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29. And we're going to talk about about seven verses there. And th that chapter is pretty, pretty interesting. So um, let's read the fourth verse. And because that kind of sets up the whole, um, the context of it. Jeremiah, uh, th that particular chapter is a letter. And it's a letter written to a certain group of people. The first verse actually explains it. It says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Let's just stop right there. So here's the context. There are people. They were in Jerusalem. Jewish people, people of Israel, they were in Jerusalem living their lives they had been promised, you guys know this, you know some Jewish history, you know that they've been promised by God to be a great nation, that God was going to bless them. It's kind of like you and I having this moment with God where we realize that maybe God does want to bless us and we take that and we live that and then something wrong and something bad happens. And so in Israel, it's the same thing. They, they were going to be people who were rescued out of Egypt, if you guys remember that. But then if you look at Jewish history, it has not gone well. I mean, it just, it just look at the empires that have uh, persecuted them and occupied them. It started off with the Assyrians. Then it was the Babylonians. And if you track history, you got the Persians, then the Greek, then the Romans. And during the Roman Empire, Jesus shows up. And so now we go kind of go back, back to not the Assyrians. No, we go to where the Babylonian Empire were occupying them. And so that part of history, about five 100 BC or so, there is a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who is going into Jerusalem and exiling people out of Jerusalem into Babylon. And he's doing this for a particular reason. He's doing this because he wants to strip Jerusalem out of all the resources and he wants to take them into Babylon and strengthen Babylon itself. This military tactic is not one of ancient times. It has actually happened in modern day history. 1990, the Gulf War. Unfortunately, I was there in living in Kuwait, moved here after the Gulf War. And in 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Some of you guys know that. And when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, what he started to do was he began to strip Kuwait out of its resources and strengthen Iraq. He began to take oil, uh, money, gold, and then he began to take key people and families. He began to take doctors and he began to take physicians and engineers, all the smart people. He began to exile, which 
Obviously, he wasn't looking for me. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I was good. Uh, yeah. But he began to do that. We, we've seen this. And there is a reason for that. There's a reason for that. These people, when they're exiled, and I've seen this, being ripped from their families and forced to live in a place where they never thought they would live. Being taken out of the familiar and into an unfamiliar place. It's kind of like a season. It's kind of like this past year for some of us. You've been taken out of what you thought and moved into some place else. And these people were devastated. Devastated. It was not a good thing at all. And so it's in that context, God takes Jeremiah, a prophet, and he writes a letter, and he wants to tell those people something. Also, you should know, this was the third time, third batch of exiles. So these, this is the third group of people who've been taken into, out of Jerusalem, into Babylon. And this is kind of a side note. Ironically, modern-day Babylon is Iraq. <laughs> so it's kind of weird for me. So here's... What happens? God gets an opportunity through Jeremiah or Jeremiah gets an opportunity through God to speak to these people. And God says something that we'll read in a few minutes that's very counterintuitive. It doesn't make any lick of sense, honestly. It doesn't make any sense at all. But there's something about God you should know. He knows you. He knows that when we are in Babylon, when we find ourselves in a place we don't want to be, there are certain things that we just begin to do. We naturally begin to rehearse our past. We begin to maintain our present. And we live a life fearing our future. That's what you do and that's what I do when we find ourselves in Babylon, in a place we don't want to be. We naturally begin to rehearse our past. Every decision you make, you don't want to risk because you remember last time what happened. And so what do you do in Babylon? You rehearse your past. What do you do? You maintain the future, uh, maintain the present. Why? Because you don't want to move. You don't want to change anything. Have you ever been at a place where things have gone wrong and all you want to do is just like tell everybody, don't do anything. Like don't move. Don't do anything because things have just gone wrong. And then you live a life fearing the future. That's the natural human response. But so it's in that, not with that knowledge, God speaks. And this is so important for some of us. So verse 4 we read. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5, he starts off, God says to these people, and he's telling us, he says, build homes and plan to stay. That is not good news. <laughs> that, is, that is not fun. He says, plant gardens and eat the fruit they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren, multiply, and help me with the last phrase, do not dwindle away. Okay, you don't want to hear that. If you're having a bad day, you don't want to get an email that says, hey, by, by the way, I heard this happened to you, plan to stay. Pack a lunch, buddy. This is going to be long. No one wants to get an email like that. No one wants to get a text message that says, hey, heard about this. Wow, it's going to take forever. <laughs> Smiley face, LOL. <laughs> no one wants that. 
But then God says to them, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to tell them this. Jeremiah's thinking, you're going to get me killed. Seriously, you want me to tell this to them? Why is that? Why is that? So these people have been ripped out of what they're used to. And now God wants you to just start doing something else. What about the past? The first thing you and I need to know that when you're in Babylon, God wants you to do is he wants you to reconcile the past. What does that mean? That means he wants you to live a life that you're not focused on your past. Okay, true story here. Um, uh, when I was in Kuwait growing, growing up, I crashed a wedding. Okay, uh, as a kid, you know, small kid, and um, but my I knew someone there, and and um, there was a guy who my buddy he had a video camera. It was like big in back in the days, you know, this big, and uh, he was like videoing the uh, the event, and so I was like, oh wow, this is a cool camera, and so I said, hey, can I just video the you know. Um, the event for you or just played around with it. And he's like, yeah, sure you can. And so I was like doing this thing. It's pretty cool and focusing and all that. And, you know, I was a little kid. I don't know how young I was. And I, I looked around and there was, a, a, you know, a pretty girl, right? And so I was like, oh, look at that. And then I just kept on focusing on her, all right? And I didn't even know it uh, until someone tapped me on my shoulder and this guy comes up and he's, you know, I was, I was Pakistani. It was an Indian wedding and all that. And back in the day, we all had accents. So he comes up to me and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and I go, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. He goes, listen to me. Listen to me. I see what you're doing and this is not good. I want you to do the video straight, okay? I meant, I, don't, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay. So I was like, straight. You mean right? Okay, straight. Okay. I get, okay, okay, okay. I go back to what, do, what I was doing. And back to what I was doing was basically following this girl around and videotaping her. And so I was like, I don't know what this guy's doing. And so he comes back again. And he goes, what are you doing? I go, what are you doing? I don't know. What are we doing? And he goes, listen, listen, I'm telling you. This is not good. What you are doing is not good. I'm like, why, why do you, oh, okay, okay. And then finally I just got sick and tired of it. And so I, I went back to my friend and I said, who is this guy? What's his problem? Because he keeps coming to me and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he goes, uh, um, well, you know that girl you've been focused on this entire time? That's her dad. I was like, oh, now I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. And he goes, he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. What's interesting, though, is uh, um, you didn't know this, but everybody knew, everybody knows here that you're focused on her. You know what's interesting? People notice what you focus on. You don't even know what you're focusing on, but everybody else knows. There are some of us who are so focused on our past, you don't even know. But everybody else does. Everybody else at work, everybody around you, your spouse knows it, your kids know it, your family knows it, your friends know it, your girlfriend knows it, and is going to be out pretty soon. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows what we focus on. 
Because there's something inside of us that when we are, when our emotions are tapped into something that's so important to us, we naturally gravitate towards that. And what God is doing right there in verses 5, he's doing something that's counter counterintuitive to us. Why? Because he's wanting us to engage in something that doesn't, that defies everything what we used to do. And what he says is, I want you to reconcile your past. Some of us have brought our past all into every relationship. And this being this, the last weekend of this year, for the love of God, you need to close the book on your past. You're done. You made a mistake they made a mistake. They made a mistake. It is done. It is done. Everybody's sorry. You've done all you can. It's over. It's over. Let's move on and plant a garden. Let's move on and, and do the things we're supposed to do. Let's look into what's next and not what happened. But this, this whole idea keeps on going, doesn't it? The next verse is pretty interesting. He goes on to say, verse 7, he says, And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. God is saying, I've sent you into this season. I want you to do something now. Okay? I want you to reconcile the past here. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Come again, Jeremiah. No, when I'm in a bad season, I don't know about you, I'm praying to get out of it. Like I'm praying, God, get me out. I'm not saying, oh, I just love this season. So awesome. Full of grief. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not praying for the season. I'm praying to get out of the season. And then he says this. He says, pray, for the, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, Babylon's welfare. This is crazy stuff. Its welfare will determine your welfare. What he's basically say, saying is that this season you're in right now, your Babylon will determine your Jerusalem. Your Babylon, your season right now that you're in will determine your future season. What you're doing right now will determine what you will be doing in the future. He goes on and says this is what the Lord's Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not says, sent them, says the Lord. So he's saying this. He's saying, first of all, I want you to start praying for Babylon. Start working for the welfare of Babylon. Then I want you to understand something. The people who are telling you good news are lying. See, the fortune tellers, you know what they were saying? They were saying, uh, Jeremiah is lying. Um, God's going to come any day now. Don't plant a garden. Put that down. No, don't even unpack. God's coming any time now. Anytime now, just wait. Just wait it out. Just, just wait it out. And there are people in this context, having lost what they've lost, knowing what they came from, are going, oh, okay, uh, Jeremiah, okay, plan to stay. Fortune tellers, any day now. I like any day now. 
I'll just do that and I'll just wait. Have you ever lived a life waiting? Okay, this is, this is crazy. Uh, several months ago, right, my, uh, I have an interesting experience. My, uh, my son is, um, is, uh, is in the house and they're playing. I have a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. And they're playing, and all of a sudden, the fight breaks out. Okay, if you have kids or you've had any experience with kids, you, you know, that happens all the time. But at this moment, I was actually sitting and doing something very, very important. I was watching TV. And, and hold on, hold on, before you say you don't know what was on, okay? <laughs> Food Network. And it was, it was pretty powerful, okay? And so I'm like into this. I'm like, wow, that's how you fillet up, whatever. And, and um my son bursts in and he is crying and he's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know those crying like you don't know like what are you saying? Stop! And if I finally find out, find out that his younger sister pushed him, and so I'm in the I'm in the zone, people. And so I'm like, okay, 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 you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go push her back. <laughs> this is good parenting. You should write this down. Anyways, so I said, go push her back. Go push her back. Go push her back. Go push her back. And then go, Ashley, which is basically, come on, intersect here, do something, take care of important stuff here, okay? And so nothing happens, and, and, and he just goes out of the room. I'm like, just go push her, okay? Push her, okay, good, we're good, okay, and leave. And he's still crying, whimpering, and he walks out of the room, but he doesn't leave because he's standing right outside the door, you know, and still crying. And you can hear him, you know, like, oh, feel bad, Dad, feel bad, you know, that kind of crying. And... So I'm like, okay, 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 stop, stop. And so I stop the TV, uh, bring him in. I say, what's wrong? What, what, what's, what's up? And he goes, I, I just can't push her. I just can't push her. And I'm like, now I'm not, I'm not worried about the fact that, you know, Nura, my daughter, pushed Asher. I'm like, why can't you push her back? Because I'm thinking, I'm not raising a boy that can't beat up little girls. Okay, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen, people. Okay. I know I'm a pastor. I'll pray for them later. But anyways, so I'm like, why can't you not push her back? And he goes, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. I'm like, why can't you not push her back? And he stops and goes, because Jesus wouldn't do that. I was like, no. Do not bring him into this. <laughs> Jesus has nothing to do with this. Nothing. Nothing. Yes. I was like, you can push her back got you. Let me pray for you. I mean, seriously. And you know what? He left and we fixed, we fixed the situation. And I was actually thinking about that a couple of weeks later. And you know what I realized? I think I do this. Maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe you guys can relate. But I, 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 my son's nine. And I'm just kind of waiting till he's like 10 or 11. And then I'm going to depart my wisdom to him. I'm waiting for him to kind of grow up a little bit before I just kind of, you know, really do a good job. With parenting. Does that work, you think? Is that good? No, no support here. Okay, so that's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. So why is it, why is it that most of us do the very same thing with our life? You wait for the job to get better before you do 100%. You wait for the better title, better responsibility, better pay. Some of us even wait for a better marriage. Till you really put everything in it. We just wait around. And we don't engage the present. And what God is calling you and I to do is not just 
not just reconcile our past. He wants us to engage the present. And so if you're waiting around for something to happen before you take God seriously, before you take your faith seriously, before you take your marriage seriously, before you take your finances seriously and get out of debt. If you're waiting for something, then you're just waiting. And you're not engaged. And God wants us to get out of Babylon, but he wants us to engage the present. Let's move on. This is, uh, this is interesting what he, he says after this. He says in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon. Okay, help me with this one. For 70 years. See, if you are like 10 years old, that's still bad news. <laughs> if you're in your 20s, that's worse. 30s, 40s. I mean, if you're in your 50s, you're like, not making it. Okay. If you're in your 70s, you're like, I'm dying here. That's awesome. That's wonderful, Jeremiah. Wow, God's going to show up in 70 years. You sure it wasn't seven? Seven's a good number. Let's do seven. Seven's good. No, 70 years. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I'll be dead. Okay. And I will bring you home again. Really. That's awesome. That's awesome. And see, right here, what God wants us to do is he wants us to create the future. Because when we, when we reconcile our past and when we engage the present, we begin, to, we begin to partner with God to create the future he has for us. But do you remember what I just read? 70 years? I mean, let's just be honest. That's not good news. Or maybe. Maybe, just maybe. When God talks about your future, it's really not about you. Maybe when God gives you dreams about your future. It's really not about your future. Maybe it's about the future of your kids and your grandkids. Maybe you are called to do something that will impact generations and generations to come. Maybe that is what God was talking about. And if you think, well, Lane, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, but I, I, that's not good enough. Well, let me tell you why it's so important. Because right now you're creating a future your kids will live in. And if you've ever been to counseling, your counselor will tell you, you're living out the future your parents created for you. You're creating a future for the people around you to live in. And if you're going to be focused on the past, you're going to be focused on yourself, and it's about you, and it's been always about you, and it always will be about you, then you will create a future for your kids 
it will not be nice. It will not be good. It will not be filled with peace. It would be filled with disappointment and selfishness. Maybe what God is saying to us is that if you would just trust me, just trust me, begin to do the things I'm calling you to do in this Babylon that you're in, I'm going to partner with you and create a future that you and I and, and, and the generations to come will be blessed by it, will be benefited by it. And let me take you to the last passage, last verse. And this is a very popular Christian verse. Some of us know it. Jeremiah 29, 11. But let me, can I just tell you this? Could it be possible that maybe this verse is not for us to simply declare that God's going to do this? Maybe this verse is a plea from God himself to trust him. Let's read it in that way. And then it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Can you help me with the last few words? To give you a what? A future and a hope. This is God saying, if you will just trust me, I know the plans I have for you. I know they are good. Trust me. Do the things I'm calling you to do, even if they don't make any sense at all. This verse, this whole idea came so true in my life and my family's life, right after 9-11. During 9-11, my family was here. I have two brothers, two sisters, mom and dad. Right after 9-11, my mom was asked to check into the immigration office downtown Charleston. And I knew what they were doing. They were going to deport her because there was a problem with her visa. There was a technicality. And because of that, they were going to deport her. And it could be forever or for 10 years. And I remember that moment. It was, it was, uh, it was like a Monday morning. They said, you need to check in. Balkis Fosling should check in to this immigration office. And uh, we, the whole family was there. I believe Michael Morris, a pastor here, showed up as well. And we prayed together. And I, can I just tell you? Can I just tell you? I knew what was going to happen. Because you know what I saw? I saw a future without my mom. And even though I was like the, the pastor among the siblings, you know what I wanted to do? Not go in. You're like, what? No, I'm serious. I know. I'm the pastor. But I was like, no way. Because I know what they're going to do. And I remember praying there and coming to a point, all of us, and we decided this. We realized this. We realized that mom's life is better in the hands of God than in our hands. And we went in there. And they deported her. And at that moment, I was like, this is the hardest thing I have ever done. I knew what was right, like just like some of us know what we need to do this morning. But it was something I did not have faith for, peace about, didn't like it. 
I was even against it mentally. But we did it. And so the first year was pretty rough. The second year was terrible. Third year, I had lost all hope. I wasn't going to see mom ever again. And now she was having grandkids here in the States, and she is stuck in Pakistan. Third year rolls around, and at the end of that, and mom calls me up, and she goes, hey, I, I got a piece of paper. I think I've got a visa to come back. I had lost so much hope. I said, mom, you don't, you don't read English. <laughs> you, you give, give that paper, pa paper to someone who does. Let's. And she went and got it read by someone, and she got a visa. She got a visa to come back. I remember her walking back from the airport, picking her up. I was still shocked that it took three years, but a possibility of never. And then God came through. This morning, I wonder. I wonder if the one thing you need to do is to just simply partner with God. Surrender everything to him. And allow him to create the future he has for you. What would happen if you did the one thing that you don't want to do this morning? I, I, I get that. I understand that. But what if you did do it? What if you mustered up every ounce of courage? Like 20 seconds of courage. And you prayed the prayer and you meant it and you did the things that we just talked about. How would your life be different? I guarantee you, you will not be in Babylon for long. And I guarantee you that God will create, handcraft the future that you desire, that your soul longs for. And your spirit desperately needs. Because he's the one who created you. Who knows you. Who loves you. But you have to do this. You have to take the step. And say yes. I want to do this God. And I want to help you. I want to pray for us. Pray for the campuses. Campuses, pray for Mosaic. I want to pray for, that we would do this. That somehow God's spirit would, would work not just in this room, but in our hearts. In a way that doesn't make any sense. Let's pray together. Lord God. Father, could, could it be true? Could it be true that... that if I were to do the thing that is the hardest thing for me to do today, if I would move not just in faith but even in doubt, if I would just move because I've, I know I'm supposed to do this, if, if I would just take the step, is it true, God, that you could come and that you to walk with me and your spirit can fill me? Is it true, God, that if I do, and if we do what we're supposed to do this morning, could it be true that you, you will do the things 
bigger things than we can ever dream or imagine. Could it be true? So God, it's in that possibility we pray this. God, we come to you. We ask you for help. Would you, God, help us reconcile our past? Would you, oh God, help us engage the present and where we are right now? Would you, God, create the future that you have for me, for us? God, I pray this in Jesus' name, by your spirit, amen.